Hey everyone, this is Josh from Life on Side B. We have arrived to our last episode of part one of season two. The season is not over. This is just the end of part one before we go on a summer break. And today, Ashley is talking with Art Barrera about mentorship. We carry so much nuance and so much tension in the way we live our faith that we need people to help us carry that tension and nuance. And I think we need people who are willing to learn us and to love us well. There are so many gold moments in this episode that are worth every second of listening. We can teach people that lament, which they need to like, yeah, lament that you can't have these things or lament that this is difficult. But do you genuinely believe that the thing God wants you to have instead is so much better? And so we can encourage people in this genuine hope that not not only is Jesus worth losing anything for, but the thing he gives you is so much richer. Yeah, it's like not just lamenting what you don't have, but it's almost like lamenting an ideal that you are learning was not true. This is an episode for the books, y'all. So we need to get into it. But before that, after this episode, our next episode is going to be airing in August. Now, if you are like, oh my goodness, I cannot do without life on side B. That sounded really bad. Life on side B all the way until August. Well, go over and join our Patreon page. We will be doing one episode a month exclusively for patrons during this break. And you can listen at the end of this episode for a sneak peek of this month's episode on the Patreon page. So with that, finally, let's get into the episode. Well, how you doing, all right? I'm doing good. I'm excited about this. Me too. Especially like, I think you were one of the first people I thought of when me and Josh were going over like different subjects. I think this was like last fall when we said like mentorship. We were looking at some people. I'm like, Art's a youth pastor. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, he loves this stuff. I knew you would really be a good fit for this. And it's something I'm I'm really passionate about myself. Well, I'm very excited. Yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely a big part of, I mean, my professional life, but I think even my personal life. Exactly. Like it's something that's not only something you do, but it's something that's very important to you. Yeah, and I know you have like a lot of good insight with that. Well, that being said, this week we are going to be talking to Art, who's a good friend of ours. He, well, I'm going to let him introduce himself, but this week we're going to be talking about mentorship and what we as sexual minorities need out of those uh, relationships and what we can also offer in those relationships. So, Art, do you want to introduce yourself and share a little bit about yourself and how you identify and where you are with your journey and sexuality and faith and stuff like that? Yeah, for sure. Um, So my name is Art Pereira. I am a 28-year-old student ministry director in New Jersey. And uh, I describe myself as a gay man. Um, I it's been like a real process to to land there, um, especially deciding on celibacy. Um, and actually, my mentors. It's it's great that we're talking about mentorship today because I think my mentors were a really big part of 
my spiritual process in general, but especially um, understanding my sexuality and how that integrates with my faith. Okay. You say your last name different than I've, than I've heard it. Yeah, it's it's Pereira, but like I don't even okay, try. Okay, so I thought that I was like, <laughs> I was like, I didn't, I didn't think you'd say it like that. Yeah, yeah, no, I I don't bother trying to say Pereira because then like people have no clue what I'm talking about. So I, uh, you just I'm, said it. I'm used to Americanizing it. Yeah, I was about to say you just said it the white people way. That's exactly right. Because <laughs> like I know one of one of my first. Uh, like disciples and mentors when I lived in South America, her last name was Pereira. She's very Brazilian. She's from Northern Brazil. So her Portuguese is probably very different than yours. In my experience, uh, Brazilian Portuguese tends to like, it all sounds mostly the same to me. It's Portugal Portuguese that I get lost with. Oh yeah, definitely. But she's from Acre. Oh, okay. And they have more of a, um, how do I put it? Their accent. I guess this probably is more their accent than anything else that sounds different other than their words. Right. But a lot of people say that people from Acre have a very distinct accent. Yeah, I think I've been in the States so long, I think it all starts to sound the same to me. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So in your experience, do you think there is a difference between mentoring, discipleship, and counseling? I think those are like related, but different. I think especially counseling, I, I consider very differently. So we'll start with like mentoring. Um, I think of mentoring as the like imparting and sharing of skills and experiences, uh, usually from someone with more experience to someone with less experience. So I think mentoring can happen and it does happen in different fields, right? I think it happens in like the sports industry. Right. Um, I think it happens with skills like writing. I think it happens in the business world. But I think when we're talking about mentoring or mentorship, we're talking more about the sharing life kind of mentoring, which like a lot of Protestant churches often refer to as discipleship. Right. Yeah. Um, I think there is a difference in the sense that like, I guess discipleship is often like the language a church uses when they mean spiritual mentoring. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. Like a spiritual mentorship. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think the interesting thing about discipleship to me is like, so like in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, we are all called to make disciples, right? right? Like that's part of following Jesus is making disciples. So I think while I believe everyone's called to like contribute to disciple making, I don't know that that necessarily means every Christian is supposed to take on like a mentee in a, in a really formalized way. Right. Um, yeah. I guess I, I guess I see that. Yeah. Like I would, I would actually guess that most of what we see as like disciple making in the church is really not formal. Like I, like I work in student ministry. So like the way that my youth leaders invest in my students is kind of, it's programmed and it's formalized, but also they build relationships with them outside of just our program. Right. And the right. sort of like investment that often happens, it's not like you ever sit down and go, Hey, I'm your mentor now. It's just genuine relationship that builds over time. Well, you see, I mean, like I've had that experience too. Obviously I think most of us that have grown up in church have been in the youth group setting at one point or another. And it's not that they formally come down and say, it's like, you know what, I'm your mentor now, but it's your youth pastor. So you kind of assume right, they are. Yeah. But then yeah, again. Yeah, like it's your volunteer, small group leader. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And then also in like the setting that like after I left church that I went directly into mission work in the, um, 
in the classes and the programs that we would go into, you were assigned a um, a person. Oh, cool. So it really was. It wasn't that they're like that what they would call your one on one in in YWAM. Um, it's like this is your person. This is the person you're going to go to mm-hmm. with. Um, they were your small group leader usually. Um, they usually went over your class assignments depending on uh, what what you were doing. Um, and you would go to them with your, you know, your, your stuff. And you'd usually have like a weekly sit down when you were actively in school. And once you went on to be staff, it was less frequent, but you still had frequent sit downs. That, and you knew that this person was going to be your, like, we would call them your pastor directly or something in that in that sense. Yeah, and I think that's been a lot of my experience having had mentors. Like there was often a very like programmed or agreed upon structure. Um, I tend to think that that's kind of helpful when people begin like mentoring relationships. At least when, when someone flat out says like, hey, I want you to mentor me, then I think some definition needs to happen, right? Um, yes, that's a, a very a, awkward situation, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, so actually, just recently, like, I think three weeks ago, uh, around the start of, like, stay-at-home order, so probably a little longer than that, uh, a college guy from my church uh, messaged me and said, hey, man, would you want to, like, I think his exact wording was, like, be in discipleship together. And I was like, what does that mean? <laughs> um, yeah. It felt silly asking, because I'm, like, I'm the clergy, you know what I mean? But I... I I was going. Yeah, I was like, let's let's it. let's clear up what you mean by that. Yeah, totally. Because I think people come into those sorts of relationships with expectations all over the spectrum, right? Um, yeah. Which I think, like, one of the question the question you had asked was to like the comparison of like mentoring to discipleship to counseling, and I think in the church, mentoring and discipleship is like pretty much the same thing. If you're if you're focusing on spiritual growth, uh, right? Yeah. Counseling is the one that I go. Um, it's like the most unrelated of the three. Uh, not that like, like, so, okay, so as a, as a student ministry director, I've had a lot of conversations and walked through kids in a lot of, like walked through a lot of crisis with kids and, uh-huh. um, not just kids, but families, uh, people who are younger in the faith and it'll come mm-hmm. up like really heavy moments will come up and brokenness comes up. And I mean, there's been yeah. one mentor that I definitely had to talk about it with a counselor, but. I, I'm like nervous when churches talk about spiritual discipleship or spiritual mentoring as counseling because we're not mental health professionals and right. we're like, we're not trained to handle a lot of what does show up at our door. So I think, I think though we will walk into some sensitive things with the people that we mentor, it's really important to be able to go, Hey, I think maybe you need to go actually see a professional about some of this stuff. Yeah, no, definitely. I think, like, I've seen that, too, because, like, I did take, like, a, what you would call, like, a basic, um, basic counseling course in YWAM, so it's, like, there were things that we were trained to handle and everything, Yeah. and my church has gotten better with having specific trainings and stuff for the different people that would be mentors in our church to go through before they do certain things knowing that there are things that we can counsel people through, obviously, like there are hardships. And when you, I feel like when you counsel someone through a situation or through a thing, you're not always going to be their permanent mentor. You just help them with this one thing. Right. 
but even in those situations you got to know like what is what you want to say that like this is out of my weight class yeah for sure and to be able to communicate that right um i think that's been really important yeah there's been seasons where my mentor it, had to say hey i can't handle that and i'm really thankful he said that because it points me in a direction of the resource i really need you know it, it's it's hard to hear I've I've been on the other end of that. Yeah. And where it's like the person has said, like, I don't talk about this with you because I don't know what to do with it. And it's like, well, thanks. Yeah. But like you said, it's probably better because if they would have tried, God knows where that would have went. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, that's been a really interesting part. When I, when I first started following Jesus, uh, I was 16 and and before that i had i had realized i was gay and so i was out and i was dating and i like i didn't consider myself a christian so faith wasn't even in the picture and right. um when i started following jesus almost like instantly there was this conviction that uh being in a same sex relationship wasn't an option and mm-hmm. so i remember going to my pastor uh, about a month after i started following jesus and being like hey i i need to know what to do you know like, i have no clue what to do about this and our pastor um, we didn't have a youth pastor, but our church had our church was multicultural. So there was a Brazilian pastor and an English pastor, and mm-hmm. all of us were really close with our English pastor. And we would ask him all sorts of crazy questions. We talked to him about pretty much anything, and it almost became a game where, like, after church, we would ask him a question just to see if we could stump him. And I remember mm-hmm. one day pulling him aside because I had started to trust him, and I said, "Hey, what do what does it look like for me to follow Jesus if if I'm attracted to men?" And that was the first time I heard him say, I don't know. And for a split second, it totally like destroyed me, you know? Um, but the next thing he said was, but I want to walk with you in that. And I want to keep growing with you in that. So maybe we can look for some resources. Like I want us to be able to keep talking about this. And that was really helpful for me. And I think a really good model of what a lot of mentoring and discipleship is, which is to walk yeah. with someone as they grow in their faith. Um, right. Yeah. And, from someone who's in a position maybe of a little more st- stability spiritually or just more spiritual experience or knowledge of the Bible, right? To walk with someone who's figuring out their faith, figuring out whether it's a certain season or whether it's a certain experience. Like I was really looking for some help with understanding my sexuality and he was straight and probably didn't know any other gay people, um, but he was really willing to have conversations and to help me process it and to help me look for resources. Yeah. Um, I think like that's, that's made me also curious about another question is like, like, what do you think? Cause like a lot of times, like you said, a mentorship, um, relationship is oftentimes it's like, it's not just the discipleship, but you develop a relationship with the person. And I've, I've seen that too. The people that have been most impactful in my life was where we really did develop this, like almost familial type relationship. Do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing in mentorship and discipleship? I don't know if I think it's good or bad. I just think that there are like boundaries are good. And there's also seasons and times for different sorts of relationships. Um, Like that, that pastor who mentored me, mentored me for about two years, probably um, because he was my pastor and we we grew really close, but there were definitely ways uh, because he was my pastor and because I was around him and I helped around a lot of the church, there were definitely ways. I I think I became too dependent on him and I had to learn to, wrestle through my own faith for myself um but because he was 
in my church, I, I would have dinner with his family. And so I was, I felt very connected to him and his family. Uh, I have students that I've mentored who over the years, and I, I'm at a new church now. So the church, my last church, I was there for six years and there was a family I grew really close to and three of their boys were in my youth ministry program and I mentored them. And in a lot of ways, I still mentor those boys and I'm not at their church anymore, but you know, I'm extremely close with them. They call me their brother. Um, they introduce me to people as their big brother. and so. That relationship's totally changed. I think there's room for that. I mean, obviously, because it, th that's part of my story. I also think, on the other hand, that's not every case. And so that's why I think yeah. it's important to be like, what are both people expecting out of a mentoring relationship? Because if mm -hmm. someone's looking for a surrogate brother or a surrogate dad, that's not necessarily something I'm signing up for. Right, um, yeah. Sometimes those things grow organically, and usually that has v less to do with the mentoring relationship as it does to like other factors. So, like the mentor I have today, I've known him since I was eighteen. So I've I've had my this mentor for ten years. Mm -hmm. Um, we we lost touch for a year or two, but um, for about the past seven years, we talk every two weeks, uh, for an hour on Wednesdays. It's like uh -huh. very rigid. Uh, it's every two weeks, an hour on Wednesdays. And for the first three years, it was that rigid. Uh, I didn't really talk to him outside of that hour. I It was always on the phone because he lived an hour and a half away. Mm -hmm. And I think that structure and those boundaries were really good because it made me accountable to myself. It made me like go pursue my own growth. Now I think we've, as I've gotten older, especially um, that relationship has shifted a bit to where he might call me when he's having a bad day. And so though that's like a very different sort of, environment but i think we have to typically be clear about what we're looking for when we start engaging those relationships yeah i think that's that's kind of important because like you said if it grows organically it's usually a good thing but when i feel like when someone is going into the situation looking for that it doesn't always um turn out the way they expected or wanted to yeah i mean i've, I've had students definitely who when they were looking to talk to me about something, they had a very clear goal in mind, right? Whether they were looking for me to be buddy-buddy and just agree with them, um, or they were looking for some sort of like surrogate family member. And unfortunately, sometimes you have to draw a boundary and go, hey, listen, that's that's not what this is. I'm helping you to grow in your own faith and to develop. And and that's going to mean disagreeing with you. So for the, the person who's looking for a best friend who disagrees with them, that's inherently not what a mentoring relationship is. Yeah, right? no, not at all. Um, that's that's barely even a friendship. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a good way All to right. put it. And how do you think that um, we as LGBT people specifically can benefit from, of, from mentorship? Man, I, I think I have to like say up front that I, I speak about this with privilege um, because I didn't realize until a few years ago, but, I have had a mentor more consistently than any other Christian I know. Um, yeah. In yeah. fact, most most of the Christian guys my age, like straight or gay, I don't I don't know any Christian guy my age who's had a mentor for more than a few few months. Right. Yep. So I I speak about this um, honestly with privilege because it, I've I've had a mentor pretty much since the day I started following Jesus twelve mm -hmm. years ago. Yeah. Um, and so like I'm I'm biased, but. I, I think the power of someone more experienced who walks alongside us and maybe who's made the mistakes we're about to make and so helps us avoid them or 
knows how to graciously handle them. Um, and honestly, now with my, my mentor's name is Josh. And like I said, we meet every two weeks for an hour. Uh, Josh has known me since I was 18, which is longer than I've known most people in my life. Mm-hmm. So Josh can give an insight. I mean, sometimes I leave a counseling, um, like my counseling meetings, mm-hmm. and I call Josh and I say, hey, my counselor said this to me. What do you think? And often Josh has so much context because he's talked to me for an hour every two weeks for 10 years. Yeah. And so the context he can offer for me is really helpful. Um, I think we as LGBT people specifically, I think especially side B people, I don't know about everyone else. I'm just exhausted. (laughs) I'm so exhausted from having to think critically about faith and sexuality and feeling like I have to defend myself that I, I know I need a I need a team. I need a team who's thinking about those things with me. Um, I need a team who's catching my blind spots. And my mentor has been such an incredible part of my team. He's actually so I was ex-gay for a number of years. Uh-huh. Um, when that pastor and I like looked for resources, what we found was Exodus. Yeah. And so for us, we were both like, sweet, we found our answer. Um, and my mentor Josh is is the guy who years later sat down with me and said, listen, you have a lot of shame because you're gay and you're waiting for God to love you when you're straight, but he loves you now. Mm-hmm. And I needed my mentor who had walked with me and who had built trust with me and who had seen so much of my life and he could just look me in the eye and call me out on what was going on in my heart. Yeah. Um, and I needed him to help me continue to process that. So I think we carry so much nuance and so much tension in the way we live our faith that we need people to help us carry that tension and nuance. And do you think it's like, I thought this was interesting too. Do you think it's important that either our disciples or mentors either be of the opposite sex or have a different sexual orientation than us? Like, would it make a difference if it was a straight woman, a gay man, a straight man, or a gay woman who was the mentor of an LGBT person? I don't know that I have really strong opinions on that. Um, in the in the student ministry world, we often keep, or as a rule, we typically keep those relationships the same gender. Mm-hmm. Um, that's often for the student's comfort and safety. I mean, there's been tragically so many situations that happen. Yeah even in churches. And so I find that um, the same gendered relationships often feel safer, even for students. Yeah. Um, and I mean, even as a gay man, so all my mentors have been straight men. I've never had like a mentoring relationship with someone else who is queer. Um, but I found that their capacity to, to relate to what I'm going through or to love me in what I'm going through has been really powerful and helpful um, so I, I think the thing I do feel strongly about is I don't know that we need spiritual mentors who are queer. Okay. Um, I think that's important to say because I think a lot of us have experienced so much hurt and confusion from straight mm-hmm. people that we give up on straight people loving us well and walking with us right, well. Right, yeah. Um, and again, I, I know I speak from privilege because I've had some incredible straight mentors and friends but I think it's important that we belong to the church and, you know, I don't want to only be able to mentor queer kids. Yeah, obviously. Um, because 
the intricacies of my story and my encounter with Jesus are is valuable to every student I meet, mm-hmm. right? And so in the same way, I don't, I don't know that I feel like I need a mentor. Now, when you're walking through, and I mean, I think especially when you, when I was first coming to terms of celibacy, the thing I was most looking for was someone older who had died. Right. Um, and so I do think there can be a really big value. And I love that our community has people, you know, like Wesley Hill or like Greg Coles or Eve Tushnet who are writing about their experiences. Because in some ways they mentor us from a distance, yeah. right? Like in some ways they walk us through the situations. But but the reality is West Hill does not have the time or energy to mentor every gay teenager who picks up his book. <laughs> and so like, I think we need queer people who speak to us about our experiences. And if you can find a queer Christian who's got a little more experience than you and wants to walk with you in it, like, God bless. I can't even imagine that because it was never an right, option. Right. But I think we miss out if we insist on having um, mentors who have only shared our experiences. Right, yeah. I think it's kind of like a little bit like what we were saying before. Like there are times where we need someone to help us through certain situations. Kind of like you said, when you're first coming to terms with it, it it would be you know, very useful, practical, helpful to have someone who's been there to help us through that time. But someone who is our consistent mentor, it's not necessary that they have the same life experience as us. Yeah. You know, my, my three best friends are all youth pastors. And, oh, really? Um, yeah. So I typically get a phone call every time any kid comes out in any youth group in the tri-state area. <laughs> um, so like, I'll get a call from my brother, Nick, and he'll say, hey, man, I had a kid come out tonight. Is there anything I need to watch out for? And he might tell me a little bit about the conversation. or, um, But at this point, they've kind of learned what to do because they've had to walk with me so well. Yeah. But there's moments where they ask me to tag in for a conversation. Yeah. Now, they've got years of relationship with a kid from going on retreats with them, sharing life with them, uh, having conversations. But they go, hey, for this subject, you can talk to someone who understands this topic. Uh-huh. And so I might tag in for a conversation or two. Kid might text me with a few questions or looking for a few resources, uh, and that's it. You know, um, so I think there's a, there's a sort of flexibility if we're open to getting resources in different places. I think there will be people who will teach you a lot, and I I've learned so much from older side B people. Um, I think about Revoice last year. Jill Rennick spoke uh, at the main session, and then she did a, a workshop. And I like, I was floored and she ministered to my heart so much and I needed her experience in this world, but Jill Rennick's also not in my daily life. And so she can't be calling me every two weeks on a Wednesday, yeah. you know? Yeah, I definitely, I definitely feel that. Cause I mean, all my mentors in my life have all been, have all been straight for the most part is the very least as far as I know, um, as one would say, um, and I've seen different ways that they have obviously contributed to very highly in my life. And I didn't need them to share that experience with me. I remember even one time, it wasn't that she was really a direct mentor of mine, but she was kind of like my mentor's mentor. So it's kind of like the person that's over all of us. And uh, she had been talking to the guy who worked a lot with Exodus where we were. And she said she had thought, she was under the impression that the person who should disciple someone with same-sex attraction should be someone who has same-sex attraction. And she said it was him that told us, like, no, not necessarily. We're not 
the only one who understands the human experience, the thing that's important is really this is is more your posturing, more the willingness you are to listen to things that you may not necessarily understand and to walk them in that yeah. journey, like you said. Yeah, and I think my mentors have had to learn and grow mm-hmm. with me. Um, Josh, for instance, even though he's the one who called me out on it and said, dude, you need to wrestle through your sexuality because there's still something here. And that started me on a process of, of reading Wes Hill and reading Greg Coles and reading all these other things, spiritual friendship, and growing so much that he then had to catch up. You know? yeah. <laughs> um, so he was a catalyst for a lot. And at times, he, he said to me once, he goes, man, what you think your life is going to be has changed so much in the past three months. I need to relearn you. And I think we need people who are willing to learn us and to love us well. Yeah, that's that's definitely true because, like I said, in in that my most of my mentors and pastors have all been, well, all of them have been, you know, straight. The few that I've talked to about things, and the thing is, I've I've come more, um, what you want to call that, full circle in my journey since, um not leaving the ministry but we're kind of like on this prolonged break right now um when i was still there i was still kind of sticking my toes in and they kind of got me with the same thing you need to know that god loves you where you are and sometimes i think about i don't know how they feel how they would feel if they knew how far i've gotten into that like it you know because like you said that happens it's good when they're like oh i need to catch up with you but there's also that same fear of like i don't know if you want to catch up yeah you know i had a um when i was first figuring out celibacy i was trying to figure out man i'm a i'm a minister how do i survive ministry as a single person for 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 life you know and um called my first pastor who is such a, a wonderful man of god and um like walked with my family for over 10 years and I, I, he's been in ministry for over 40 years. So I think of him as, as an inspiration and I figured, you know what, pastor Renato, he might know something about how to like live as a single pastor. He must know someone. And I'll tell you that lunch, he was kind of like, well, why don't you get married <laughs> um, to a woman he met? Right. Cause he was kind of like, well, you're going to need the company. And I, I was really aware, like it, it made me so aware, like, Oh, he's, He's trying, but he hasn't had to wrestle through this. So even though he knows so much about ministry and is so helpful, there really was a, a, a real gap between what we felt like what my options were. Yeah. Um, and and that that's all right, you know. Oh yeah, definitely. And do you? What do you think? Like, what advice would you have for people who have been um, either hurt or? you know, manipulated by people who were supposed to be their guidance or mentors. And what would you think would be like a a good advice for them to be able to tell the difference? Like, because once you've been wounded like that, you're kind of going to take a certain way to feeling about being necessarily, like you said, called out. Like what advice would you give them to know the difference between being called out and finding themselves once again in that maybe manipulative or not so good situation? Yeah, I well, first of all, I think that um, a great way to find a mentor is to look at whose faith in your church inspires you. And so I think if if we pick our own mentors, sometimes there's more success that way, right? And that's not foolproof, but I was gonna say, I was like, I don't um, know about that. I 
<laughs> well, what do you mean? Well, I don't know. Sometimes it's like, well, yeah, I understand what you're saying. Like you can you can see like, well, I need this and this person has that. But sometimes we um we look for what would be more comfortable and not necessarily what would be best. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I guess there's some self-knowledge there, right? Um, the mentors I've had were all because I approached them and said, hey, will you walk with me? And there were specific things about them that I admired, the way they stuck to their faith, the way they sacrificed. Um, my mentor today has been in ministry for 25 years. Um, so the, his openness to talking about what, what when ministry is really hard, that's really helpful. Um, so I think, yeah, looking for people that you feel like are healthy, I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think like a, a good litmus test is, is is your relationship with this person leading you towards hope or leading you towards shame? Like the church, unfortunately, has often communicated about sex and sexuality in really isolating and shameful yeah. ways. And so like the thing I love about Josh is even when I felt super ashamed and I felt like I should, I was disgusting, he was the one telling me, no, you're loved. Like he was calling me back to hope and love. Right. And so Josh has always been someone who frees me from shame and who helps me find hope and healing. There have definitely been church scenarios I've been in and church leaders I've been under where I felt more ashamed after a conversation with them. And I think that's a red flag. Um, if you're if you're having a conversation with someone and the way they handle it makes you feel ashamed. Now, we have to be careful because I think we carry internal shame. Mm-hmm. And so there's conversations I leave feeling ashamed and it has nothing to do with the other person, right? right? My my pastor today is an incredible, awesome man. I I love him. He's one of my dear friends. And I've definitely left some conversations with him feeling ashamed. It had nothing to do with mm-hmm. him. It had to do with stuff I was probably But if you feel like the person in your life is making you ashamed and it happens fairly regularly, then I, I think that's a big indicator that there's some control and manipulation there. Yeah. Um the other the other thing is as a mentor, I really want to help people find their faith and develop their faith to be able to stand and make decisions and make godly decisions leaning on their network of community, but not needing me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So if if your mentor is trying to be the only voice in your life, that's a red flag. Um, If your mentor is trying to keep you dependent on their voice in your life, that's a red flag. My, my mentor has always been investing in me to be able to make godly decisions, not devoid of community, but not depending solely on him. Yeah, I think that's important too. Like I said, the mystery we had where you were kind of like told this person is going to be over you or not, you know, and there were different people that I had assigned under me. And then there would even be relationships that just, how do you want to say that, kind of grew organically that it wasn't, I wasn't their assigned mentor, but in the long term, I ended up being that for them. And right, I remember there was, there was this one girl and I still... I met her, she was 15, this was years ago, and I, it's kind of like one of those things, it's kind of you automatically have a strong connection to them, and, and you, you feel for them, you care about them a lot, even in the way of like, I need to be careful, I need to not get too attached to this person, you know, even the red flags go up in your mind, and as years went on, I remember she came to me for advice for something at some point, like, like I said, like a few years later, and when she was younger, it was kind of point. I'm like, you need to do this. You need to do that. You should probably do this. You should probably do that. But as years went on, it would be more like, okay, what do you think is the right thing? Kind of like guiding them to, 
think on yeah. their own. And I remember, I don't remember what the situation was. Probably a boy. <laughs> if, if experience tells, um, but I remember telling her, I'm like, you don't need me. I said, I will always be here mm. and I will help you and talk to you. And I will always be here. But I said, it's not because you need me. Yeah. I said, I love because that. If you yeah. I think uh, all the time I'm doing what I'm doing wrong. Hmm. Yeah, I think mentoring should definitely empower, right? So if people aren't feeling empowered by their mentor relationship, that's a that's a flag. Yeah, definitely. I also think this is where you know we were talking about earlier about boundaries. This is where boundaries make things clearer because you know that college guy that asked me to to do discipleship with him. We're meeting we're meeting once a week on Wednesdays mm -hmm. for an hour, and it's it's so much easier to tell what the boundaries should be in a relationship that's that simple, whereas some of the guys I've mentored who, because of my relationship with them and then their their siblings and then their parents, they become like a sibling right. to me. There's a lot more boundary crossing, right? And so when one of them makes a decision I don't agree with, well, all of a sudden that affects me really <laughs> differently than if I'm just their mentor because I'm really clear about them. Exactly. Uh, and there's, there's massive ramifications for this person who's deeply in my life. You know, um, Some of these guys are guys who have a key to my apartment. And so we're extremely close. And so when their life isn't well, it affects me. And so it is it is much easier to to kind of like I think starting a mentoring relationship that's a little more structured and clear is really helpful because you can kind of tell where things yeah. are at. It's like they both have their pros and cons and it just kind of really depends. It's one of those things that kind of like it depends on the situation. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, so I think uh I think the big thing is checking your your own shame, checking your own, like, do you feel empowered by this person? Um, and honestly, like, if I think it's important to, like, tell, confront your mentor when you feel wronged by them, just like any other relationship. So there have been one or two conversations with Josh that I said to him, hey, I, I didn't like how that conversation went. And he was really open to that because he's humble. He knows that, he knows that he's not God. Right. And he wants to be something that helps me grow, but he doesn't have to control my response mm -hmm. to everything. Whereas if you have someone who's investing in you and the way they handle a conversation hurts you and is difficult for you, and you tell them that and they're not receptive to that, I think that's a real big red flag. Right, yeah. Especially if, if you're dealing with like, with I think to a certain extent, if you're dealing with younger people, I don't want to say children, but like even young adolescents, it comes to a certain extent, it's like, I know you didn't like that, but you you don't understand everything. But when you're dealing with adults, you really do need to be more receptive of this person is a lot more conscious of themselves and they, they know what they're feeling. You have to be able to receive them when someone says that they're that they've been hurt. Yeah, for sure. What do you think we have to uh to offer as LGBTQ individuals? I know that many times Depending on the ministry, depending on the level of understanding, maybe of the denomination or the church leadership, we will be denied being mentors based on that. But what do you think is something you could say that we actually have to offer as a plus because of that? Yeah, you know, I've had to think about this a lot as I've um, wrestled through my own experiences and my own relationships. 
And uh, when I was interviewing for my current church, I was asking them, you know, I wanted to minister as an out gay man um, in a very conservative denomination. And one of the things I talked about is actually, I, th I think side B people have a unique testimony that's really powerful and really empowering um, for the, the people around them. So I think, first of all, I believe that every Christ follower has something to offer. Um, but I think side B people uniquely, we need to wrestle through tension and nuance in our faith and not give up. So I actually think in a lot of ways, we're often uniquely equipped to have really hard conversations. Um, as, I, as I've come out in my church context, um, I've been out at my church for a year, and um, even how people respond to me on social media, I'm amazed at the people who connect with my story, not because of anything having to do with sexuality, but because they totally relate to experiencing long seasons of tension and hurt in their faith. And so side B people have often worked through that, and LGBTQ Christians in general have had to work through so much hurt just to choose right. to follow Jesus that we can meet other people in the ways they are experiencing hurt as they choose to follow Jesus. I, th I think that's the first thing. The, the other thing is I think we embody sacrifice in a way that's really empowering for the people in our lives. I, uh, I was having a conversation with um, one of those guys that I'm really close to. He's, I think today he's, he's 19. So at the time he was 18. And I was letting him know that I had decided his family and I are really close. His, his parents and I are really close. They all knew I was gay. And I was trying to figure out if I was still going to try to pursue um, a mixed orientation marriage. And I, as I was settling on celibacy, I, I was telling him that. And he got really quiet. And I, I, you know, at first I got like, ooh, is he like scared of what we're talking about? And then he said, man, that's crazy. I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, I feel like, and this kid's grown up in the church. His parents are really committed Christians. Um, he said, I hear people talking about sacrificing for Jesus every week, but I don't think I know anyone who actually does that. Wow. Yeah. And so me sitting there telling him, hey, I think I'm going to commit to celibacy. He was so floored at the idea of someone sacrificing for Jesus. And the conversations we were able to have after that, I mean, one day he was telling me about something he was struggling with, and then he paused and he goes, it probably sounds like I'm making up excuses, huh? And you don't make up excuses. You just do the hard <laughs> stuff. <laughs> and I, like, I didn't say anything, but it, I think the testimony of what we're choosing to pursue, even as we do it imperfectly, it's really empowering. You know, the, the testimony of the side B Christian is that Jesus yeah. is worth anything. And so we can uniquely mentor people into areas of sacrifice, into areas of, of hope. I, I think, yeah, I think the story we've got to tell is really good and beautiful for the church. My experience has been that it relates to people. I knew that coming out would mean I would be able to relate to other queer Christians. I didn't realize how much coming out would mean that straight people who had struggled would know how to talk to me and would feel like I understood something about their life that other people didn't. Yeah. I think that kind of goes along with as well. Um, I think there's something we could teach the, I don't know if I want to say the modern church, the Western church or anything um, that about lament that I think a lot of times it's something the church has mm, yeah. lost over the centuries or something. I was reading about it. Um, 
that book I mentioned a couple times on here, but it's this book I'm reading about um, kind of like cultural identity and what it really means to be to be white and what it means to be a true ally to people of color and everything. And it was talking about how one of the things that we don't have in predominantly white churches and cultures is the ability to lament things and what that actually means. And I think that that is something that side B Christians can help to teach because it's not only what are we sacrificing for Jesus, but that we've truly been able to mourn our losses and continue in that sacrifice. Yeah. You know, I think, I think a lot of good discipleship is about obedience. Like ultimately I think as we choose to follow Jesus, we choose to obey him as well. And so a lot of discipleship is helping people to wrestle through areas of obedience in their life. And as we're flushing those things out, ultimately there is there is a lament, right? There's a giving up of the thing I want, even though God says it's not it's not good for me. But there's also a sort of hope, right, that goes with that lament. Like for me, I, I believe I'm choosing celibacy because I genuinely believe that when God says this isn't good for you, that means the thing he has for me is so much better. Yeah, exactly. And so we can teach people that lament, which they need to like, yeah, lament that you can't have these things or lament that this is difficult. But do you genuinely believe that the thing God wants you to have instead is so much better? Mm-hmm. And so we can encourage people in this genuine hope that not, not only is Jesus worth losing anything for, but the thing he gives you is so much richer. And I think our churches really need those stories. Yeah, it's like not just lamenting what you don't have but it's almost like lamenting an ideal that you are learning was not true because like you said you had an yeah yeah you have this idol or whatever of or maybe not even an idol just something that you had that you thought had the most importance and like you said but god has something better for us so to actually go into what god has is better you not only have to lament what you had wanted but lament the idea that what you wanted was better. Mm, yeah. You have to let go yeah, oh, of man. that, of what you thought was the ideal in the realization that God has the ultimate truth and that his truth is higher and better. Yeah. So then you, you take that and you apply that to any Christian and that's relevant to them. Definitely. You know, that's relevant to the experience. I mean, I'm in student ministry, so I often think of high schoolers, but like, when high schoolers talk to me about romantic relationships, side B Christians are a living testimony that Jesus is more important than romance. Definitely, yeah. Right, and, and we we combat that that like romantic idolatry in the church, but also when high schoolers talk to me about just confusion over figuring out what does it look like to follow Jesus well as whatever they are, well, we've experienced that too. So I just I think there's so many ways that we can meet the church. And it's not just students. I think it's it's other people who are coming to know Jesus. They need our rich experience with his love and with his grace and also with, with his word, with his truth. Definitely. Yeah, that's 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 a, some stuff I like I hadn't I guess I had thought of in, in other moments, but I really wasn't putting it into like, yeah, definitely there's stuff that that that's something we can we can offer in I guess what you like you said spiritual mentorship or or discipleship or something and that's something that 
like you said, oftentimes we hear about, but we don't see in a lot of people. Yeah. But you talked about um, being able to look up to these people that share their experiences, like like Wes Hell, and you said um, the lady at Revoice, Jill Benick and stuff about how these older people have things to to show to us. Like I always loved listening to Becca on the podcast. Honestly, I feel like she, like I learned so much from her every time she talks. Not that I'm saying Becca's like old or anything. Don't don't take that way. <laughs> but how can how can we better honor our the side B folks that have been where we are and are kind of like in a different stage of life right now? Yeah, you know, um, I think a curiosity about their story would go a long way. Um, one one thing that Jill Renick said at at Revoice that gave me so much more perspective for what a lot of our older brothers and sisters have experienced. She said, you know, to be young and gay is hard, but to be older and gay is, is, is the, the pain that they had to go through in, in some of the experiences they've had already in the church. Um, I mean, I think about the fact that I'm experiencing a church where at 28, I'm able to come out in a, a conservative denomination. Right, yeah. And even 10 years, even 10 years ago, and it would, that would have been impossible for a lot for someone in my position and so the silence they've had to endure or the rejection they've had to endure, um, I think they're carrying some pain that we, we've only experienced a taste mm-hmm. of. Uh, not in every case, but I think in a lot of cases. And so a certain grace with like, I think our experiences have been so vastly different um, of what the church is like. And I wonder, like, I think so many side B experiences that I've seen feel so young. Like even at Revoice, I was struck by how young everyone was. Um, One of my friends is, I think, 43. And he said that his, the biggest thing he went to Revoice looking for was people older than him that he could ask questions to. And he said he was really heartbroken that there were so few of those. Um, And so I, I think that the people we do have, we should be curious about their experiences and we should we should ask questions. You know, I think we don't always like to ask questions because we feel like either we're going to look dumb or we're going to feel like beholden to follow their advice. Because if I don't like their advice, I don't want to have to follow it. Right. (laughs) Um, But I think listening to their stories, I, I was shocked at how much Jill's story resonated with me and offered me a sort of healing. I didn't know Mm -hmm. I needed. And it's because of her own experience. Like because I went through Exodus, her experiences with Exodus were so powerful for me. And so I think the best thing you can do is is communicate that their voices really matter, is ask them questions, um, make sure that we give them opportunities to speak up because, you know, there it does seem like there are, are fewer older um, members of our community. And I, I wonder why that is. I, I have some thoughts, but I think the, the biggest thing we can do is to to ask them questions and, and honor their, their voice. Yeah, I mean... I remember about probably that's about five years ago, I think I came around to the whole side B world. And what I was really looking for was people my own age, which at the time I was like 24 and 25, because all I really saw was older people, ironically enough, like the ones there weren't a lot of people. I felt like there weren't a lot of people my age taking side B as an option i felt like it was only people from an older crowd who had accepted it but the younger crowd they were all moving to side a 
And now that I'm kind of like in a different mm-hmm. stage, like I said, now I'm, I'm 30, I'm looking at like the side B community is mostly made up of a lot of really young people. And it's like, okay, so it wasn't that only older people were taking side B seriously. It was just, it was just the time because now you can see that there are a lot yeah. of young people considering side B as, 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 as their, their, the way that they could, they're going to live their lives. Yeah. You know, I've, I've often wondered because I, I'm 28 and that's still, I've still got so much of life to live as a celibate person. And I, I often just want to go, man, I want to know what it's going to be like to be 50 and still not married. Yeah. I, I, I want to hear someone's perspective of that, you know? Uh, and so I, I'm even trying to make sure that I, I engage, um, whether it's in forums or other contexts, just I engage with people who have more experience than me and I make it clear that I really count on their voice and that their voice is really valued. Yeah. It's almost like there are people in my church that are definitely um, older women that, I mean, I've seen a couple of them that were either divorced or widows, but also just women that I know that for a fact, just they never married and they're just there and they are part of our church ministry, but I wish that they would talk more to that experience but they really don't like if they ever yeah. do it's it's mm-hmm. still of the like you know waiting for the right person that god's gonna send you and it's like oh okay you know not there's anything wrong with that but it's like i really wish that they could speak to the younger crowd about what it's like to be single for a prolonged amount of time yeah you know i got to have lunch with um greg johnson at revoice last year which was such a gift and uh just to hear some of his thoughts on I asked him, I was like, Greg, how do I last? You know, I think he's 20, 25 years down the road from me. 20, uh-huh. not 25. He's like 20-ish years down the road from me. And I'm going, Greg, how do I last another 20 years of this? Like, please teach mm-hmm. me. Because I just, I don't, I don't see it. You know, I, I've, I've been doing this for three or four years, you know, and I, I don't know that I've got 20 years yeah. in my tank, man. And that was so priceless to be able to do that. And to be able to have lunch with him and, and hear his thoughts, you know. Um, and I think there are people in our community who know a lot, and we just need to make it clear that their voice matters and that we really want to hear about their experiences. Yeah, yeah, that, that is true. Sometimes they're just waiting for someone to to ask almost because it's not like that they, they don't want to share, but it's like you get to the I guess you get to this other stage in life. It's like, well, if you want to know, you're going to ask me. Otherwise, I have stuff to do. Well, and I think also, I wonder, and I, I can't speak to their experience, I wonder if they feel a sort of cultural disconnect from, from the experience we've had. Because yeah, to be honest, there's uh, there are some people I interact with who are like 20, 21, and I feel like they are experiencing a whole different world than I ever did. Definitely, definitely. Like the, the high school I grew up in, when I was there, I, I got beat up so much for being gay. Whereas I had students in my youth group, my last youth group who went to that school and like that would never happen today. Like there's, there's so many like queer advocacy groups there. Yeah. Like the culture has shifted so strongly for that, that like kids are mostly comfortable in a lot in that high school coming out and people are like, Oh, cool. You know? Uh, and that's such a different experience than I had that I almost feel like I, I wouldn't know how to relate to someone who that was their high school experience. And so I wonder if someone's 50, how much more of that than they experienced than I yeah. did, you know? Like, I definitely see, like, a lot of times with, I would say, like, a, I don't know if I want to say an age gap, but more like a generation type gap to an extent. 
it's like one yeah i definitely see the difference between like yeah. our age group and like you said the young 20 somethings that like it took me forever to get where you are already like you're doing great um yeah. but i mean obviously they still have a ways to go but it's like the amount of work that it took me to get to the level of self-acceptance that they have is, to me is incredible and then i see like right. the generation before us that it's like i see that almost as the gap sometimes between like the the issue with the semantics of identity like a lot of times the the older crowd yeah. that was you know out during the 80s and 90s and had a very different experience with the lgbt community and if, if they wanted to be part of that they had to completely leave their faith behind or maybe were never a part of it and then came back to the faith or came to the faith later and their radical change experience was leaving all that behind and they are sometimes that crowd that doesn't like uh lgbt terms and it's all part of just like a different ex life yeah. experience right yeah and i think it, it's important that we go into it graciously understanding yeah, each other right it's like we all have to learn how to be able to listen yeah and i, I mean i think as we talk about mentoring the heart of a mentoring relationship is listening, right? Whether you're the mentor exactly. or the mentee, I, I need a mentor who knows me and who knows me, you know, who knows my experience, not any yeah. gay guy who knows me. And so my mentor has listened to me for 10 years. And then that means when he right. chimes in, I got to listen. This is a guy who's invested 10 years to be able to give me the five minute yeah. advice he's giving me right now. And I've got a humble go. He, he's probably saying yeah. something I'm not, you know? Um, well, I think that covers all the questions I have. Is there anything you wanted to, to add to the end of that? Yeah, I think the, the one thing I really want to encourage people as we talk about this idea of mentoring, uh, is that our churches really need us. And I know so many of us have experienced so much hurt with the church, but, um, I think there are really practical ways we can become part of the fiber of our churches and uh, be an encouragement and, and be mentors and also to be mentored. And so if you're trying to figure out, man, what does it look like to build these things? All my connections come out of the local church. Uh, all my connections come out of showing up to small group. All my connections come out of volunteering in a ministry, you know, and I'm, it's different for me because mm -hmm. I'm employed by the church, but as an employee of a church, the people I see who get connected and and build relationships are the people who put in the time. Um, not always the case. I, I know we have extra, like extra barriers, but you know, be, befriend families with kids and be a present in that kid's life. Be a surrogate uncle or aunt mm -hmm. who can model faith for them. That'll be priceless for them. Um, be a volunteer youth leader. You know, a, a, attend a small group and just join a small group with people your age and share your experiences with the people around you and, and learn from them. I think those are all things that we need, but we also, our mm -hmm. churches need us. Definitely. I would say to different, you know, pastors, different churches and stuff to also not give up on us and give us a chance. You know, sometimes yeah, amen. it is scary. Like we said to, it's like, I don't, I don't know what to do with this. Um, uh, and they just kind of sit there. We, we, we don't, while we obviously are scared of being hurt, we can tell if you're being sincere and you're making 
honest mistakes. There are going to things that you're going to say wrong and we're aware of that. But if it's done with this humble spirit of I'm trying, I'm, I'm trying to learn here. I'm, I'm, I'm doing my best. We, we, we still want that. Like we're not expecting anybody who's going to walk with us or take care of us to be perfect. We just want someone who's going to stick with us. We want someone who's not going to give up on us when our story is messier than expected or out of what is the norm. We want, we just really need somebody to not give up on us just because of a certain experience we may have or how we talk about it. Yeah. Amen. And I think don't be afraid of your own ignorance too. If you're, if you're a mentor, I mean, the, the best gift someone ever gave me when I came out to them was that they were willing to talk to me like PC, my, my pastor, when I was 16, he was the only adult in my life who would talk to me about my sexuality. Even my parents couldn't handle talking to me about it. And he had what to say. He had no resources. Um, and he ended up like sending me to Exodus, uh, well-intentioned, but like, at the end of the day, he had no clue what to say, and he was willing to do the work of learning and humbly walking with me and studying scripture with me and looking for resources. And I, I really think that was life-changing for me to have someone who was just willing to have the conversation, even if they had yeah, no exactly. clue what that's to say. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm after. saying. Like, that's, that's something we need, and that's like I want to encourage pastors. Like you said, don't if, – if you're afraid and you don't know, say that. And that's fine with us because we're afraid and we don't know what to say either at that point, especially like you said, when you're dealing with these very young people like in high school or, you know, young adults who are just kind of just figuring this out. We're scared. We don't know what to say either. Like we, we don't we're kind of we're perfectly willing to be like, let's let's figure this out together. I just need someone to do this with me. Yeah. Amen. Um, well, Art, thank you so much for sharing your different experiences with us of having been mentored and all the different the different types and the different experiences you had with, with different mentors you had and the different experiences you've had mentoring people. Like I said, I know this is something that is close to your heart, that's special to you, and is also something you do and we can all really learn from, from your experience. Yeah, thanks. It was a real joy to be here, and I'm super thankful for what you guys are doing. Well, that's it for today and for part one of season two. We will be back in August for more episodes. And in the meantime, join us on the Patreon page. We are starting a new style of Patreon episodes called The Other Side of the Episode, where we take a guest who's been on air and ask them some questions that our Patreons are asking. This month, we brought back Joel, and him and I got to talk about some more questions about boundaries and masturbation and apps. Always fun topics. I have sometimes come across where... I'm afraid or don't want to communicate a boundary. Yeah, absolutely. And for me, that has been the biggest thing of trying to read into that and trying to figure out why is that? Mm -hmm. I think I do that same thing. And that's a lot of times where, you know, I would go back and say, 
that it's again like setting those boundaries in yourself and and maybe a better way to say that is like know your heart and Mm -hmm. you know be able to be willing to examine your heart uh in every relationship and if there is a relationship where you don't want to talk about boundaries even though you know that you should um that that's a real big red flag that you probably need to and and probably means that it's not a bad idea to get some trusted counsel it was so much fun to do that with joel and to record that episode thank you so much everyone for supporting us by listening and giving your feedback and continually just showing love and care to me and our co-hosts you all are amazing and we all love you. Thanks guys.